I'm not sure where the term came from, but we all love a good life hack, right? My mom sends these to me all the time. She'll send this email and it's like 50 life hacks, 50 things you can do with clothes hangers. And I have to tell her, mom, like, I don't, I don't do anything with clothes hangers because we have a dryer, you know, and, but, but every time that like the iPhone rolls out a new system, they're like, hey, that thing that used to take 47 steps, now we have this shortcut. And it takes something complex, this is the idea of a life hack, and makes it very simple. It's a shortcut, it's a skill that you can learn, it's a, it's a trick that again takes something very complex and makes it simple, makes it straightforward. And if you're anything like me, when you come to scripture, especially certain parts of scripture, you, you may be kind of longing for a spiritual life hack. Like, God, there is so much complexity to the Christian life and to what I'm finding in your words. So many commands, so many prohibitions, like all this stuff I'm not supposed to do, all this positive stuff I should do. And then as we just prayed in our confession, like my thoughts matter, my emotions matter, my reactions matter. And and sometimes we're just like, is there a cheat code here somewhere? I share this because the text we come to this morning, just two verses, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, I think takes a lot of the complexities of the Christian life and just makes it super simple. And what I hear Paul saying here to a church is, yes, there are all these commands of Scripture. But if I were to boil it down to something really simple, it's this one thing that you can apply a million different ways to a bunch of different types of circumstances, but instead of having to remember everything, you can remember this short thing. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. And what I hear him saying is there's a right focus, there's a right pattern, There's a right endurance and there's a right attitude. And really we begin here with this first point, the right focus. And what's interesting to me is he's now 35 verses into this short letter, 35 verses, all of chapter one and the first five verses of chapter two as we now have it divided up. And we finally encounter the first imperative of this letter, the first command. So my point is, up to this point, Paul has spent all his time reminding you, number one, this is who Jesus Christ is. Number two, this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. And as we talked about last week, number three, these are the treasures that you find, the riches that you find in relationship with Jesus Christ. And then finally he says, and now here is how you respond to the person and the work and the grace and the riches of God. Walk in Christ Jesus, the Lord. And so I'd say if there's a daily focus to the Christian life, it's this simple. He's saying walk in Christ. Or more specifically, walk in Christ as the Lord of your life. And I love this metaphor of walking, which is used all throughout the New Testament. He says the Christian life is like walking. Okay, And first of all, what that tells me is the Christian life is not static. It's not just like we're just staying in one place. And it's like, I arrived. I'm here. I'm just going to stay here. But the idea is of, of movement. It's dynamic. It's not passive. It is active. 
But I think we also learn from this metaphor of walking that he's saying the Christian life is like a journey. So basically the only two things you need to know is what direction am I headed? That's important for walking. And then take the next right step. Where am I going? Take the next right step. And that's so important in a, a, a cultural moment like what we find ourselves in with so much tremendous uncertainty. You know, just a couple nights ago, having a Supreme Court justice pass away, not unexpectedly, but not good timing if you like smooth politics, okay? So we have this polarization. We have all these arguments. We have Black Lives Matter. We have COVID-19. We have all these pressures going on in society, and we can't predict the future. None of us can stand here and say, here's how that's all going to work out. Here's where we're going to be after election day. Here's how it's going to calm down. Here's how it's going to be better. And you can't even do that with your own individual life. You can't say, here's how my career is going to go a year from now. Here's how church is going to look six months or a year from now. Here's how my children are going to turn out. On a personal level or on a social level, none of us know those things. So here's God's advice. And this is how practical this is. He's like, stop worrying about a bunch of stuff you can't control. And you don't know anyway. And just simply take the next right step to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus in your life. Let me put it another way. You don't have to remember the 613 commands of the Torah. The Jews are sitting here with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they're like, wow, all these commands. And they've, they've literally illuminated 613 of them. And, and I hear Paul saying, okay, church, most of you are Gentiles anyway. You don't need to remember all of those and categorize those and go through life just constantly stressed. I'm going to miss one and I'm going to do the wrong thing and I'm going to displease God. He's like, you just need to remember one thing and then have the wisdom to apply that one thing over and over and over again to a thousand different kinds of situations. And here it is again. The one thing to remember is just walk in Christ. Take the next right step in Christ, acknowledging the lordship of Christ. And if you're like, okay, great, what does that mean? Well, look at this key in this verse. Back to verse 6. He's saying, as you first welcome Jesus, that's the literal word he uses, as you first received him or welcomed him into your life as Lord, so now also walk with him as Lord in the same way. So he's saying, you became a follower of Jesus in the first place. How? Through a bunch of activity, through your performance, through how moral you were, you were smarter, you were better than other people. No, up to this point he said, you became a follower of Jesus by repentance and faith. So guess how you're going to walk in Jesus now? If it's the same way you received him, then you're going to walk in Jesus through repentance and faith. This is so important and I want to say this to all of you. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and you're listening online or whatever, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, everyone has someone or something or some series of some things that are the functional Lord of your life. Okay, if you reject Jesus, if you reject God and say, I'm not going to follow you, I'm not going to acknowledge you, that doesn't get rid of you having a Lord. Every one of us has something that gets to call the shots. Something gets to set your priorities for you. 
Something gets to tell you above all the noise and all the other voices that you're hearing. One voice says to you, what you're doing is the right thing. And you listen to that voice for affirmation. It's why you believe what you believe. It's why you think what you think is because you have a Lord. Someone gets to tell you this stuff, okay? For example, if you are a people pleaser, guess who's the Lord of your life? If you're a people pleaser, the subset of people that you are trying to please, because you're not trying to probably please everyone, you're, you're okay disappointing certain people, Maybe a stranger. You're like, I I don't have a relationship with you. I'm not bothered by disappointing you. But maybe it's a parent or a boss or a, a certain group of people who seem like more awake or more with it or more popular in their ideas right now than other people. If you're trying to win their approval, then those people are the Lord of your life. They control you. Okay, let me use another example. If you're a control freak, okay, and you just like to have control, you could say, well, that means that I'm kind of Lord of my own life, right? Because I get to choose to be in control. No, it it means that control itself is the Lord of your life because you're going around all the time and you are controlled by the illusion of control. And it actually functions as a sort of Lord or God over you. And all Paul is saying at this point is a follower of Jesus is someone who simply says, Jesus, I want you to have that role in my life. I know that all these other things in my life, ideologies and people and influences and pleasures are trying to tell me how to think, are trying to tell me how to act. They're trying to tell me what to prioritize. But Jesus, I want to hear your voice and allow your voice to be the one voice that is Lord over every facet of my life. And by the way, that's such an important point. We've had, at some point, we've had to have this conversation with each of our kids where we, we tell them to do something and they're just like, no, or they just ignore you. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Half the time, they're just selectively deaf. It's like they didn't hear you, but of course they did hear you. Um, but then later they'll obey you about something else. You're like, okay, fine, go get the Cheetos. And they're like, okay, sweet, I'll get the Cheetos. And they're like, see, I obeyed. And we're like, no, you didn't obey because at the end of the day, You're only, quote unquote, obeying when you agree with us. And that's not obedience, okay? If we're only following Jesus and saying, okay, you can be Lord of this area of my life, but not this other area. Okay, if you're turning Jesus on and off like a switch, like, okay, you can be Lord of my finances, but not my sexuality. I'm going to do with my body what I want and don't make me feel guilty about that then at the end of the day, who's trying to be Lord? You are. Because you're telling Jesus, you're not Lord of everything. You're Lord of the things that I'm willing to submit to you. So what Paul is saying here, if you want a a cheat code or a life hack, his focus here is like, you're just going through life and you know the destination that God is leading you toward. But every moment you're thinking, Lord, let me just pause here for a moment. Does this decision acknowledge your lordship in this area or this facet of my life? Or or what would it even look like to acknowledge your lordship over that facet of my life? A facet like my schedule. I mentioned my finances, my relationships, and what I'm doing with those relationships. Does that acknowledge the lordship of Christ? What about your career? 
is what you're doing acknowledging the lordship of Christ. And I'm, I'm the last person that's going to say we should all become missionaries and pastors. I think it's awesome that you're doctors and attorneys and um, you're, you're blue-collar workers because we need plumbers and electricians. We need people fixing our stuff. Amen? Picking up our trash, like making our city a more beautiful place. Okay, so all these different ways, but you're going through that career just saying, Lord, what would it look like to acknowledge your lordship over the thing that I'm doing vocationally with my life? Your thoughts, your emotions, your identity, your view of right and wrong. Why do you think certain things are right, moral, ethical, good? And why do you think certain things are wrong? And who has the right to tell you that? Okay, so that's the focus. I'm on this journey with God, the Christian life. He likens it to a walk. So I'm taking the next right step in faith and then the next right step. And very often over the last six months is a lot of stuff became murky for all of us together instantaneously with COVID in particular. And then a lot of the social upheaval is a lot of times you can't even see three or four steps out. If it's like, what's going to please God a week from now or a month from now? You may say, I honestly don't know. But Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I'm going to take one step. And maybe it's like a baby step or maybe you just kind of start and you're like, whoop, that that is not it. But that is. And then the next step and the next step. That's the focus, okay? Now I say the right pattern. And I've already shown you one pattern in this letter, which is that Paul takes 35 verses of indicative statements, good news, before he ever gets to verse 36 of the letter to say, now here's an imperative, And that's important to understand this pattern for the Christian life. If you don't know, basically Paul is not telling the church, if you walk in the continual awareness of the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you do that with a high degree of efficiency, then God will save you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the opposite. He's saying since Jesus by grace has forgiven you and reconciled you to the Father And is bringing you home with a right relationship with God. Since that is true by free grace. Now verse 36. Therefore respond in gratitude by just saying, okay, Lord, I I give you my life. And I want to understand your lordship. Okay. So my point is the grace of God always comes first. The grace of Christ always initiates in our lives. And the walk of obedience is a response to his grace. And I'll see, as we'll see in a moment, empowered by his grace. Okay? So let me show you then a second important pattern. So indicative first, then imperative, or grace first, then the response of obedience. But again, let me point out where he says, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Now our tendency, even those of you who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, Our tendency is that we understand, okay, I got saved. We sometimes use that term. I got saved by God's grace and I repented and I believed. So I didn't work for my salvation. It was a gift, okay? I just repented and believed. But now, don't some of you have a nagging sense that like in order to please God, now it's about you. You're like, I know I got saved by grace, but the Christian walk is now kind of the focus is on me. And it's like the spotlight of heaven shining down where God's like, I'm watching you. Don't screw it up. And you know, if you're being honest with yourself, that all the time you're messing it up. 
all the time. You're overstepping things or you're understepping things or you're, you're not going. And maybe you're like my kids sometimes where you're like, I'm going along with this, but inside my head and in my emotions, I am not going along with this. So physically I'm there, I'm doing the right thing, but my attitude is terrible and I understand that, okay? And we, we tend to make the Christian life all about me, us. And in a word, we tend to make the Christian life basically moralism or legalism, And what's so important about what Paul is saying here is he's like, think about how you receive Jesus in the first place by simply turning from your sin and saying, God, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I trust you. And he's saying, okay, now do that over and over again because that's the entire Christian life. Okay, you know, in boot camp, whether you've been there or not, you've probably seen movies or clips of this where one of the things they're doing in boot camp is just simply training a soldier how to march. And so they come up with these different chants that they're all saying together so that their left foot is going forward at the same time and then the right. And so they can go somewhere quickly in a certain formation before breaking off and, you know, setting up for a battle or whatever it is that they're doing. And they have this like left, 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 right, left thing going on. And what Paul's saying here is your left, right, left, right, left, right of the Christian faith is repentance and faith. And repentance and faith and repentance and faith and repentance and faith. I mean, we try to, we try to echo this in our worship on Sunday mornings where we are, we are just trusting God and worshiping God and enjoying God. And then as we see more of God and the light comes on, we may see a little bit more of our sin, which is not like, oh, no, I'm ashamed. I'm just going to grovel and walk in shame. It's like, no, just the Christian response to that realization of I'm broken is just simply to repent and to move forward in faith. Not moralism, not legalism, just repentance and faith, okay? So now I think you've got four blanks here. What's the pattern? The first word there is grace, because grace initiates. It always starts with God. That's why Paul starts with God in this letter. The Lord Jesus Christ has moved toward you first and foremost. Now I'm responding in repentance and faith. Those are those next two blanks. And over and over again, I'm walking in repentance and faith, which then produces what? It produces a life of surrender. Okay? A life of surrender is not some new, additional, extra special thing that really holy people do. A life of surrender, Paul's preaching to the entire church, from the smartest of them to the least educated of them. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles, different races, different ethnicities, different ages and maturities. But he's saying, I have one message for all of you. Just over and over again, just repent and believe. And that is what surrender looks like to the Lordship of Christ. Okay? Now, if this sounds difficult, and I'm sure it is in many ways, and it's especially difficult when we understand just how broken of a world we live in and just how broken we ourselves are, This next point is, what's the right endurance? And I love how compact this is. It's like like for a moment, Paul takes a page out of Jesus' book. You know, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the reasons that we love the Sermon on the Mount and it resonates with us so much is instead of just telling us propositional truth, Jesus illustrates. Okay, so Jesus could have said, hey, suck it up, everybody, and just trust God to provide for your needs. Propositional truth. But he doesn't do that. He says, look at the flowers over here. Look at the birds, okay? If your father can do that with plants, which are here today and just shrivel up and die and they're gonna be gone, the first cold snap, it's gonna be done. If he can do this for birds, 
which is like for most of us a pretty nasty animal, right? Like they fly over your heads and drop unpleasant things. But he's like, if God can take care of birds, how much more does he want to provide for you and dress you and clothe you and meet your needs? So now Paul's doing something similar where he could have just, boom, here's this truth. He could have just said, as you walk in the reality of Christ's lordship, trust him to strengthen you. But that's not what he says. He says this, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So let me explain. Those three words, or four, rooted, built up, and established are all passive verbs, number one. Means it's something that God's doing to you or for you or in you. It's not something that you're doing. They're passive. So you're walking and God's doing this thing as you walk. But here's what's important. There are three different pictures of how God strengthens you. And the first one is a gardening metaphor. Okay? The idea of rooted. And Christ is, or Paul is just drawing on this familiar picture that Jesus used of like a vine and branches. And he's saying, as you're walking through life and as you have difficult decisions and you have challenges that you're facing, as you even say, I don't want to submit to your lordship in this area of my life. How do I even do that, God? Like, I, I want to control what I do with my body, and I'm young, and it's fun. And, and he's like, how do you do that? Well, you, you're rooted in Christ. Many of you have been to our homes out front. We have these raised planter beds. And partway through the season, when we finally started getting fruit on our tomato plants, I noticed that this bed over here is doing okay producing healthy fruit. But this separate bed over here, every single tomato that's starting to show up has, like, Half of the fruit is black or rotten. You've seen this? And I wrote down the term because I had to research this. It's called blossom end rot. Okay? So I did a little research on this. And it actually comes from a calcium deficiency in the soil. So it says you need to get something that has um, calcium that can be released into the soil by watering it or by the rain. And then it gets this extra calcium, pulls that into the fruit, and you don't have that problem anymore. Okay, my point is because certain plants were planted in this bed over here and some were planted in this bed over here and they were separate beds, the the nutrients in the soil of those two different beds were different, which is why this one was doing okay and this one was automatically producing bad fruit. These two plants that were over here, they were never going to produce ripe fruit by just doubling down. They, They could not just be like, hey, when no one's looking, let's just yank off the bad fruit, chuck it in the bushes, and try harder to produce good fruit. But that's exactly what Christians often try to do. We're embarrassed, we're ashamed by the bad fruit of our lives. We kind of like yank it off, hide it, and then just try harder. And what he's saying here is the secret is actually just simply planting yourself in Christ. You're the branch, he's the vine. What do you think is going to happen is you're attached to the vine who is healthy, perfectly healthy. Who is God? You know, there's, there's elsewhere in scripture that are this metaphor of like, you're either planting your life in the desert, the wilderness, or you're planting your life by streams of water. Which are you choosing to do? Are you planting your life in Christ, which is that stream of water to refresh you, to give you life, to make your fruit healthy? Or are you planting in the wilderness? So that's the first illustration. And what he's, what he's simply saying is, Fruit, the fruit of your life is going to automatically be healthy as you are organically connected to Christ. And you're just like, here's what my walk looks like. I just want to stay connected to you. 
and let you do your work on me. So gardening. The second metaphor comes from the world of construction. And this word, actually two words, built up is the translation of one word, which literally means to build upon a particular kind of foundation. So so many of you are in construction here, and you know the importance of the foundation of a building. Okay, the iconic new Freedom Tower in Lower Manhattan, you know, stands the, the symbolic 1,776 feet tall. Well, before they did anything that you could see above ground, they went 70 feet below ground and drilled into the bedrock, which is the island of Manhattan, like literally drilled into the rock, made big caissons and steel sunk down into the rock. Uh, I was reading about this this week. They brought this 20-ton garnet-flecked hunk of granite, which is now symbolically called the Freedom Stone. They anchored that to the the bedrock beneath Manhattan, and this 20-ton stone is the cornerstone of the Freedom Tower, you know, the tallest building in lower Manhattan. This is what Paul is saying, is your life is only as strong and as stable as the foundation that you choose to build your life on. And all of us are choosing to build on a certain kind of foundation. So building your life on the lordship of Jesus Christ, just recognizing that you are God. Like sometimes I struggle to believe that. It's like, the, it's like the disciples that Jesus does these things and they didn't like it. It ruffled their feathers too. And he's like, are you going to leave too? And they're like, where else, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Like, yeah, we don't see eye to eye with you on everything, but if you're Lord, then you get to challenge our thinking and we're never gonna be more secure, more stable, more strong than if we simply build our lives on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected, 1 Corinthians 3 says, so the people coming along that are building religions in the world are like, nope, we're not building on Jesus. And he's like, that's fine. You don't have to, you have a choice, you have a free will. But even as you reject the chief cornerstone, God himself is like, nope, that's the cornerstone. I will build my entire church on Jesus Christ alone, exclusively, and invites us simply to just construct our lives on Christ. And then who's the one making us stable? It's Christ. I mean, he's the only foundation that's going to grab you back right? I mean, to use that, to, to, to mix a metaphor, it's not just that you're trying to sink into him for all your worth. As you build on him, he's hanging on to you and you're constructing something healthy, okay? So that's gardening, that's construction. Then the third word here about how Jesus strengthens you as you walk in him is a courtroom metaphor. And when he says established in, he's translating a, a unique and rare word that's not often used in the Bible or in Greek language. And, and the word refers to verifying or confirming a legal claim with solid evidence. So again, whether you personally have been in court or not, like a, a criminal trial or a civil trial, you know there's like a plaintiff and a defendant or a plaintiff and a respondent, And both of them are coming before a judge or before a jury or before some kind of panel. And they're saying, I'm right. No, I'm right. You should side with me. No, you should side with me. And then theoretically what happens over the next few days or weeks or months is that both sides marshal evidence. Like factual stuff that says, I can prove that I'm right. I can prove that the other side is wrong. I can prove that my claims are just. And this is the word that Paul's using here. 
And what he's trying to show you is that as you go through the course of your Christian life, even as certain people are trying their hardest to disprove Christianity, they may, be, they may be finding something that disproves it in their own mind, but they're not actually reducing the credibility of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is a real historic figure. It's not like we're building it on a fairy tale. I mean, he, he walked this earth. He interacted with thousands of people, many of whom actually wrote eyewitness stories about him. My point is the fact of your faith, which is what he's talking about here, is that Jesus corresponds to reality. And if someone here is exploring the Christian faith, you'd say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I would invite you to continue to explore because Jesus corresponds to reality. You can be established in faith in Christ because everywhere you look and everything you find is actually going to confirm that Jesus is real. Okay? So another way that he strengthens you is verifying the truthfulness of what you believe. Now we put these three back together and you see, okay, now I'm beginning to understand something about my strength for the journey. How do I endure in a broken world with a broken heart, broken emotions, broken reactions? Well, I see that Jesus is the true vine. I see that Jesus is the fountain of living water. I see that he is the cornerstone and the foundation. I see that he is the truth. And the invitation here is, okay, if you see that, then let the vine sustain you. Let the water refresh you. Let the foundation support you. Let the truth encourage you. And you see how Jesus is acting on you. And you are, not, you are not passive. You're still going through the Christian life. You're still walking. You're still taking the next right step in faith. But, but how many of you, even in this last few months, with the uncertainties of everything going on, are like, okay, Jesus, I'm taking this step in obedience, but you better show up in that step or else I'm done. Because I do not have the strength to go on in my own capacity. Well, of course you don't. You're, you weren't meant to. You were meant to draw life and health and peace and support and truth from him. Okay, so one last quick point. This which is the right attitude. I, I'm just, I think Paul's saying, okay, now if you're doing this and you've simplified the Christian faith to Jesus is Lord... How am I taking the next right step in faith to acknowledge him as Lord over this area of my life that's impacted by this decision? And as I do that, I'm seeing him show up with all this strength and encouragement and truth and refreshment for my soul. Then how do you think emotionally you're going to respond to that? And he tacks on this participle, abounding in thanksgiving. Is your life characterized by gratitude? Or would those who spend the most time around you say, Actually, kind of a complainer, kind of an ungrateful person. I was trying to go beneath that this week in my own thinking of like, why, why do we grumble and complain so much? You ever find yourself doing this? You read the story of the Exodus and you're like, it would be so cool to be back there, like at the very end, right? Because uh, I don't want to be a slave for 400 years, but like for four seconds would be awesome just in time to see G like God show up, like break the bondage of generations 
take you out into the wilderness, you're like, oh, we're dead. There's the ocean. And just like part the Red Sea and you go through on dry ground. Then he closes it on the chariots behind you. You escape. He starts feeding you miraculously and supernaturally every single day of your life. You see this pillar of fire at night that's leading you, a pillar of of cloud during the day. You hear his voice. You see the lightnings. You see Moses bring down these big rocks from the mountain and there's like writing on them. And he didn't have a chisel. And you're like, whoa, that was the finger of God that did that? That'd be awesome. Um, so, so we read the, the Exodus story and we're like, man, what was up with those people? Just constantly grumbling and complaining. Like literally, we would rather go back to Egypt than keep going with Yahweh to the promised land. Well, what, what was up with them? What's up with us when we do the same thing? I think you can mark it down that ungrateful people are entitled people. We are ungrateful. We are walking in ingratitude. And, and here's another like little cheat code. When you're complaining, when you're grumbling, why are you complaining or grumbling? Because you think you deserve better, right? If you didn't think you deserved better than what you got, you wouldn't be complaining. You'd be happy. You'd be like, I expected you know, I cut your lawn for you. I expected 25 bucks. You gave me a hundred bucks. You're like, here, keep this kid. And you're like, I'm not going to complain about that. That's more than I expected. But the problem is we go through life thinking God owes me. If we're even thinking God owes me, what's our, what's our focus on? My performance, me, my awesomeness. And then God puts something in our life and we're like, are you kidding me, God? Like, am I getting punked right now? Because I'm, I'm, I'm way more awesome than this. So let me just close with this. The only way you can overflow is the word he uses here. Constantly abound and overflow with thanksgiving. Which, by the way, is not just a feeling of thanks. The word here literally means the expression of thanks. So let me, I'm talking to myself too. But there are probably times you, you've like, oh, I, I was grateful for that. Did you, did you write the little note? Did you send the little text? Did you tell that person Thank you. Did you pause in prayer at the end of the night or whenever you pray, maybe many times throughout the day, and instead of just going straight into the presence of God, like, I need this, I need this, I'm praying for this, please direct me here, amen. Do you pause and say, God, I'm so grateful for this today and this and this, and yeah, I'm still struggling here, and this condition in my body, my mind, my work, my marriage still hasn't just, it's not healed, but I'm grateful for this other stuff. I'm thankful. I'm abounding in thanksgiving. I said, the only way you can do that, overflowing with thanksgiving, is to recognize grace for what it is. Grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness. It's the attitude that says, I do understand God owes me nothing. He made me in his image and I immediately returned the favor. And made him in my image. I brought him down to my level. I did what I wanted to do. I formed an identity not on the basis of my relationship with a holy, righteous, beautiful, gracious, merciful God. I I formed my own identity based on my performance, my pleasure. I went my own way. And instead of just writing me off, the creator and giver of life made himself one of us in Jesus of Nazareth lives the life we should have lived, yet goes to a cross and gives up his life. Why? Because he's taking the punishment that you and I deserve for going our own way. 
Okay, now he's saying Jesus has, this is chapter one of this letter. He's like, Jesus forgave you. He reconciled you to God. He's cleared away your transgressions. We're actually gonna come to that in a couple of verses again where he circles back and Lord willing, we address this next week. It's like, it's an amazing passage. It's not just like Jesus dying on the cross. It's like Jesus is dying on a cross, winning. Winning by losing. This is our Jesus, And he's saying, if you would just stop and get the focus off yourself and put the focus back on Jesus and say, wow, you made me. I went my own way, but you came after me. So the Lord that I serve is not just like a dictator. He's actually a merciful savior. Yeah, I can can worship a God like that. I fear sometimes that when you say, and then you, you tell me about the God that you don't want to worship, I, I would honestly say, yeah, I wouldn't want to worship that kind of God either. But if you read the Bible, that's not the Christian God. That's just literally not who he says he is. I can worship a God like this. I can say what I remember in God's grace and kindness. I want to do this, but I also want to honor you as Lord. So grace, repentance and faith, surrender. And again, all Paul is saying this, you want just a shortcut for the Christian life? And I don't mean shortcut making it easier to do the next right step in faith, but shortcut meaning just to simplify it. So I, in the next decision that I have later this afternoon, I can at least call this to mind. What is the next step? If that's all I can see, what is the next step that says, I recognize, I acknowledge, and I invite your lordship into this moment, this facet of my life. And I trust you, God, to do something good in that moment as I yield myself again to the God, to the Lord, who is not just Lord, but is who, who also is merciful Savior. And Lord, I'm going to walk and I'm going to bound in thanksgiving because I recognize every single thing happening in my life is a good gift from a good Lord, a good God. Let's pray.